0: To the Positive Sobriety Podcast, back again. I'm your uh, one of your hosts, Nate. The other guy sitting across from me is I'm David. Yeah, and uh, we had a bit of a problem last week. We did. We were here. Rex was here. We were all set up and. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> we were we were here, but our our guest had a uh, a glitch, yeah. and uh, in technical world, sometimes our, all our guests can't be here in Middle Tennessee with us, yeah, in the studio, and we uh, have to rely on technology to bring them from the far corners. And
0: technology, it turns out, is not foolproof no No. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> n- n- not that uh, us being in the same room <laughs> is foolproof either uh, <laughs> in fact <I> think
1: <laughs> <laughs> no but we can fail in other ways that's right exactly <laughs> yeah, the likelihood <laughs> of
0: idiocy climbs <laughs> when I'm actually in the room Golly. No. <laughs> but hey speaking of being in the same room we got to be in the same big room at the Samson Society Fall Retreat we did and man what an inspiring time it was it was
1: it was so good um, about 150 guys from everywhere,
0: yeah, I yep. mean
1: like everywhere, yeah and uh, what a great, great weekend. Uh,
0: and Jay Stringer from Seattle, the great uh, writer, psychotherapist, uh, author of the book Unwanted," was there, yeah. and really set the table with some yeah. uh, remarkable insights on mm. really uh, he talks a lot about sex addiction, so his book is called "Unwanted." Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, what are the, he talks about, you know, these things that we can, that we can find ourselves doing that we don't want to do. It's unwanted behavior and we just, there's no break. We just freaking can't stop. Right. And, uh, you know, his great insight is that, uh... Our, this brokenness can actually be a roadmap to healing if we will look carefully at it and talk honestly about it, take it apart. Mm-hmm. That behavior can actually be a bridge rather than a barrier to recovery. Yeah. But we have to take an an unblinking look at exactly what we're doing in right. order to find out what it is we're looking for. What's the deeper thing we want?
1: Right. Yeah. And the research that he's done on his own that he shared was yeah. uh, remarkable. And and his own personal vulnerability. You know, mm-hmm. this wasn't a guy who was just coming up uh, to talk about his book or yeah, the yeah, yeah. statistics of people who do X, Y and Z. I mean, he was he really shared some valuable uh, personal experiences that I think opened the can uh, for guys for the weekend
0: really he he set the bar low mm-hmm. so that anybody could get over it and then what I saw was guys, m- many of whom you know they'd never seen each other, they came from everywhere yeah, but it we knew that that retreat center was a safe place for the weekend yeah and men opened up and uh, were vulnerable with one another and in that place of vulnerability uh, and with so many empathetic Witnesses around them, absolutely found new places of healing. Yeah,
1: and and um, uh, KK, our friend, uh, therapist, neurofeedback, uh, brain spotting. She did back to back
0: to back uh, workshops. Yeah, uh, and was fantastic.
1: She was, and and boy, I'll tell you, you talk about. Guys that went there with her, mm-hmm. um, leaving that room in uh, <laughs> some with assistance, but <laughs> nevertheless, yeah. Uh, but no, you know, just leaving that room with um, an a clear idea that I've got to do more work, yeah. Because there's more here than um, than just me trying to make better choices. Yes, you know uh, yeah. that my brain is actually upside down.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that I am – I believe that our brain, like our body, is always seeking equilibrium. It has mm-hmm. a bias toward healing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've really come to believe that, in, that that addiction, while we can talk about it as a disease, is better understood as a poorly healed injury.
1: Mm, yeah. Okay? Yeah.
0: It, it began healing right away. There was a trauma. Uh, we have found a way that in the long run – has crippled us or mm-hmm. we've lost, you know, we've lost use of a part of ourselves, but at least we're functioning. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, it can be corrected, but that thing's going to have to be rebroken. It's going to be painful. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to have to be stabilized. going to lead a lot of pre- it's going to need some physical therapy. It's going to need the help of other people. It's going to need practical things like good mm-hmm. nutrition and lots of sleep. And yeah. there's a biology connected to recovery, which I would love for us to explore more in the episodes ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um,
1: and 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 uh, there have been a couple of guys that uh, even have um, committed to venture to. Uh, the Nashville area to take part in some intensives with oh, yeah. uh, the Neurofeedback Clinic and oh. uh, the the workshop that we have that goes along with that. So
0: yeah, I'm working on arranging a place for a guy who's coming this week. So that's great. Yeah, that's yeah. so good. What a good thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I love, you know, I, I love being, of course, uh, a father and a husband, and that's where I find uh, a lot of great fulfillment. And uh, I've, I've had a lot of enjoyment in my life in, in the world of business and in education and in religious work. Mm-hmm. But uh, to me, it is just so fulfilling to be able to help another person along the road to recovery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That really is something to get up in the morning for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is absolutely. And
0: you know what? We have a guest coming on this week who has found the same thing to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing that was a great source of shame has become uh, a source of mission and meaning and purpose. And his life is much enriched mm-hmm. by the fact that uh, you know that he's been down some dark roads. I know that our listeners are going to love Ellie Nash. Yeah. Okay. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment here on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And uh, David, once again, you have gone far afield to bring us uh, a, a guest, one that I'm particularly pleased to see since since we now have somebody else with a a, a history of process addiction who can talk to us about positive sobriety why don't you introduce our guest
1: yeah nate ellie nash is um a guest that uh we found through uh, a resource that uh that actually found us and uh told us uh ellie's story and i listened to ellie's ted talk he has a tedx talk um on his on his process and how he uh uh found himself where he did and how he came through that and continues to uh live in uh recovery and ellie is uh from the west coast and he is east coast uh, i'm sorry miami. east coast miami right 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 oh sorry. miami i yes. was just
0: in miami last weekend i you. Gotcha. Oh.
1: nice yeah i knew that and i screwed <laughs> it up i'm sorry thanks That's for okay. correcting me ellie Um, And uh, he is an entrepreneur and a philanthropist and a very uh, generous man with his time and resources now. But his story uh, is a little bit um, unique to me in that um, it, it seemed like he had to go through a lot of processing his story through some faith systems
0: and things like that, that oh
1: I don't know anything about that I don't know I don't know either see I'm being <laughs> okay yeah kind of yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But well welcome Ellie. Ellie
0: thank you so much for joining us happy to be here yeah uh what can what can you tell us give us uh, we we really love to ask our guests to share as much of their story as they're comfortable sharing what can you tell us about what brought you to where you are today
2: well, I'll start by telling you what brought me to wanting to speak out specifically about sex addiction.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm
2: actually excited to be speaking to the recovery community specifically, and I'll tell you why. About a year or so ago, I'm in an S program um, for sex addiction, and uh, a gentleman who was 20 years sober from alcohol mm-hmm. came to our meetings. Yeah. And when he walked in, he mentioned that he had been going to other meetings other S meetings for a little while, but now he decided to come here. And I was speaking to him after one of the meetings and you know, I asked him about the other meeting he was going to and he said, hey, listen, I was in the clubhouse I go to, there's AA meetings primarily, and then there's a couple of others, right? So Al-Anon and S mm-hmm. program meetings, sure. so on and so forth. And he said, I've been coming to the AA meeting for over 20 years, 20, I have 20 years sobriety. And when I realized that I have a sex addiction, I didn't want my AA buddies to know I was going down the hall. So I started driving 45 minutes away to another program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he told me that story, I felt like shivers go down my spine. And I said that if the recovery community can't understand and be accepting of sex addiction, then we can't expect the rest of the world to be. And at that moment, I decided I'm going to start sharing my story more about sex addiction and the opportunity to share it within the recovery community is especially important
0: to me. Yeah. Oh boy, that's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Boy, it's interesting that even within the uh, recovery community, we have a caste system, you know, um, of uh, the acceptable and the unacceptable uh, mm-hmm. disorders. Uh, wow, well, I have found a- that
0: instinctively, when I started going into the S rooms, I ha- I carried an internal uh, hierarchy where I thought that because my acting out was by my own definition pretty mainstream and my tastes pretty vanilla that somehow, and because, for example, I'd hired hookers, but had never had an affair. So that means I was better than the guys who got emotionally involved because I remained in some way emotionally (laughs) faithful to my wife. Meanwhile, the guys who'd had affairs knew they were better than me because they never paid for it.
1: Right. Right? <laughs> I was going to say that <laughs> uh, having, having
2: had a, having had one or more conversations with prostitutes over the no, last number of years, not for any particular reason, just because I happen to <laughs> <laughs> bump into them. Uh, one thing I'll say is every single one thinks they have like this bottom line. So I them, "Hey, would you meet me with like two girls?" Like, no, I would never do that. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah. Sorry for thinking you would have sex for money. <laughs> yeah 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 right yeah. and go past that line so i guess we all have that built into our system no matter what we do and how far we go we always think it's like okay that's a line i won't cross yeah. yeah yeah and in my case some of those lines that i said i wouldn't cross i did cross yeah. and that's kind of what brought me to to my knees and brought me to
0: yeah so uh, oh, really? can you can you uh, back back it up for us then Ellie, um, were you, uh, sexualized early as a child? Do you see the roots of this running all the way back into childhood? Oh yeah, absolutely. I talk about this in, um,
2: in my, uh, Ted talk. I was a very fearful, worried kid, a lot of anxiety. I didn't know that word then, but a lot of anxiety. And, uh, one of the places I found comfort was in an older male boy in the neighborhood who was, Mm -hmm. um, paid a lot of attention to me and the price I had to pay was to be abused by him from time to time. So from the ages of eight to 10, I was sexually abused regularly and repeatedly. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah, certainly that introduction, um, to sex didn't help how much of that played a role in me being an addict is hard to say because, Hey, I was also the kid who made a deal to go back there. Right. So I wasn't a hundred percent healthy the day I met him.
0: Right. Mm. Yeah. 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 And was this something that, was difficult or impossible for you to talk about with the adults in your world when you were a child? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's if, if someone knew me five,
2: six, seven or 10 years ago and would see me now on this podcast talking about this, it's not like it's yeah. two different people in a lot of ways. I had immense amount, amount of shame around being sexually abused. I didn't tell anyone until I was 23 years old. The first person I told was the first person who asked was a therapist. Um, and I didn't tell my family until I was in therapy for three or four years. Sure, sure, sure. I wow. told one sibling and my dad, but um, I'm one of nine siblings. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell the rest of my family until I was further along. And now I'm, you know, on a podcast and I have no idea who will hear it. And in right. terms of porn addiction, I just started talking about this. Porn addiction, sex addiction, I just started talking about this in the last few months. So wow. yeah, these were both heavily shameful subjects. Sure, yeah.
1: sure, sure, yeah. sure. Ellie, when did you know that what happened to you was abuse? I want to say right away. um,
2: It was physical abuse as well, right? So Mm -hmm. um, he he locked me in a room. He mounted me. um, I wasn't able to move. I wasn't able to breathe until he brought himself to orgasm. So meaning even if there was no sexual component to it. Yeah. If he was just had some sort of reason to pin me to a bed for 20 minutes, I would have known there's something wrong. So right. um, that was enough to know that there was abuse. Um in terms of sexual like sexual abuse, sure I minimize it in other ways because you hear about people who were raped and I wasn't raped, and you hear about people um I wasn't pleasured and other people were pleasured, right? So you can think about different um aspects of it. And again, the same thing, say, oh, it wasn't such a big deal for me, but I knew there was abuse and I knew it was something that affected me. I just Mm -hmm. did everything I could to push it down and ignore it. Mm. Yeah. wow. yeah,
0: I know, you know, my own story, Ellie, is that it is not one of sexual abuse, nothing that I'm aware of, but uh, a lot of trauma in childhood that set me up and I had a deep need for connection, which when I discovered pornography seemed on some level uh, to be met, There was, uh, you know, the brain certainly can be fooled into believing that this virtual connection uh, is actually real, at least for a moment. And that can be just so, in the beginning, intoxicating. Was uh, that at a young age? Yeah. No, I, well, I, I, was, I caught my first sight of a Playboy when I was nine years old, shortly after my mother died. And I didn't experience that as uh, sexual, but it was uh, just riveting and sent you know feelings through my body that I was not uh, yeah that were new to me yeah and so it was later probably in my fort- fort- mid teens really that I discovered softcore porn- pornography so I got hooked before the stuff that was available when you were a kid was even around for me it was just glossy magazines. How was that for you? What was what was porn like for you as you got started?
2: Right, so I'm in my thirties today, right, mid thirties. So mm-hmm. when I was a teenager, it was just the start of computers, right? So not everyone had a computer in the home, and right. dial-up internet for those who did. Um, I'd started off with catalogs, mm-hmm. for me. you know, whether it was a Macy's catalog or a Neiman's ad or a Victoria's <laughs> Secret stuff sure. like that, and then eventually, when I had computer access. It started with pictures, and as the internet got faster and faster, my addiction progressed faster and faster.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know that I um, regarded porn as harmless, even did my best, although I felt a lot of shame. Um, I thought that, you know, this virtual experience that I was indulging in was uh, kind of a, uh, a way to keep me safe from crossing the line, the flesh line, into actually engaging in illicit sex with other people. And Of course, this was really important to me after I got married. Did you make that mistake? Did, did you think that, okay, porn is, uh, you know, this, this is a, a safe place for me to play and I'll never be carried across the line into doing something that falls into, at least in my own ethical thinking, a different category?
2: I got sober um, before I got married, so Mm -hmm. I didn't have quite that same experience of not wanting to cross the line um, into flesh. When I was able to, I I did. Mm -hmm. Um, I did, I I guess the best, when I did make that connection was more in terms of legality, right? Because there's certain countries where prostitution is legal, certain countries where it wasn't. I would Mm -hmm. say, okay, I can use porn to avoid Something more dangerous. So I did make that connection in that way, more from a legal perspective, but not so yeah. much from a um, not crossing the line into flesh.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've heard that a lot. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. I thought you guys saying I do weed, so I don't do coke. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about. This is the positive sobriety podcast, and here we don't want to focus really place our focus on what not to do, but really on what to do instead, how life changes, what new skills we have to learn, what new pleasures we recover, new abilities we cultivate in order to lead a better life. How has life changed for you since you entered recovery and the way you it's, approach life? It's changed in every
2: significant way. I was, um, I was very isolated before. I was very anxious before. Um, I was withdrawn, depressed, I didn't have many friends, I was very weary of people, and today I I have a full life, I have a wife, I have two kids, I have tons of friends, um, it's just a completely different life, I'm a completely different person, I feel great, I, I fit in my own skin
0: today, I didn't, I used to not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you see, was that, do you see, uh, you know the emergence, the development of this life is a progressive thing. If you look, how, by the way, how long, how long has it been since you entered recovery? I entered recovery in 2013. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah it's been about yeah. six years. Yeah, so, and I've I had know. ups and downs.
2: I mean, sex addiction is a complicated addiction to recover from, mm-hmm. um, yeah. especially when <clears throat> the drug of choice can be in the room, and you can be a drug of choice for someone else, and it gets complicated. Yeah. In, yeah. Uh, in that environment. And a couple of hiccups and then realizing that this really is a God program and it's not a program where we lean on our fellows. We lean on our fellows for support, but they don't become our higher power. The room doesn't become our higher power. The meeting doesn't become our higher power. Yeah, yeah. The higher power is the higher power. Yeah. So it took a few years, I would say, to really gain my footing. And uh, the last three years, I feel really solid in my recovery.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, that's pretty much how mine went. It took me three and a half years to get decent sexual sobriety. Uh, fortunately, I had a good sponsor who helped me understand. He would pick me up after every relapse and help me understand, really, that uh, relapse, for most of us, is part of the process. Uh, I, think but I
2: especially in, 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 in the S. Picture. Yeah. Because
0: if you go the other direction and you say no more sex,
2: you're anorexic, right? And right. That doesn't... That's no good. So figuring out figuring that out what healthy sexuality looks for us, looks like for us is a complicated process. I feel like I'm still on it.
0: Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Very much.
1: Yeah. Were you able to talk about um sex and sexuality growing up, Elling? Zero. Zero. I grew up in a very religious environment, Jewish
2: Orthodox, ascetic Uh-huh. Wow. Everyone, yeah. So yeah. you can't say the word sex, you can't say the word sex abuse. I and mean, the fact that I'm out there speaking about this today and is – I spoke at a synagogue last Saturday night about porn wow. addiction. And yeah, these aren't yeah. things that people speak – yeah. I didn't speak about yeah. sex addiction. I spoke more about porn addiction. So yeah. I find sometimes just separating it is a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in what you might have called Hasidic Christianity. I mean, that really, <laughs> not, very, very you know, uh, conservative and rule-driven. And I have noticed – in the 15 years since I began to speak uh, in my faith community that receptivity is growing. It was very difficult to get a hearing in the first in those early years because it was just such an awkward subject so high octane a lot of shame around it but I think as the awareness has grown throughout all of society including faith communities how massive the problem is and how much damage is being done to vulnerable young people especially uh you know we've been given i think the gift of desperation and now we're willing to approach painful subjects just in order you know for the sake of our kids and grandkids if if not for ourselves
2: yeah i I certainly think we have a ways to go uh when it comes to sex addiction specifically yeah i think also of you know you mentioned what you needed to do as a child in order to get pornography was a glimpse of a glossy magazine i had a little bit easier yeah i can go to dial up internet um and today just the things that exist for children are yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of early sexualization, number one, and I think a lot about the dating sites, right? The dating sites. That was um, that's a yeah. like hookup culture, and yeah. it seems to me that uh, if if I recall correctly, being on any site that resembled that was a source of shame ten years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Being on a on a site strictly for hookup or being part of a chat room or a chat community that offered that. And now the average teenager and adolescent are on these sites. And it's just, it's almost like sex addicts have infiltrated normal society. And said, let's just do this normally and let's make it, let's make pretend this is, let's pretend this is normal. Yeah. The question is, when does that desperation set in? But I think it will for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, and as, as kids are more and more sexualized uh, exposure wise, younger and younger, uh, what, what they are participating in feels more normal to them. Um, in other words, you know, sexting and, um, having a very sexualized relationship with, with someone on a very casual basis and it not seeming like, uh, to them, that's somehow, um, desensitizing them to relationship or to, uh, to intimacy so yeah the more that that it can be talked about that this is not going to uh this this connection disorder that we have is not going to be satisfied by you sending a picture of your body parts to another person and getting a rush that lasts for very long that's that's not going to happen uh it's going to gradually lead you into other places
2: yeah and i think in much the same way um that alcoholics and drug addicts speaking out and saying hey like you know, a drug addict is not synonymous with being homeless. You can right. be purely, perfectly functional in most areas of your life and have a drug addiction. And mm-hmm. sex addiction is not synonymous with sex offender. Right. It's, it's, simp- right. it's simply someone who, some, someone who uses that place to numb or someone who ascribes magical qualities to sex and thinks that it can solve other problems besides for helping someone, you know, connect in a real way or reach orgasm. What it's mm-hmm. mean, orgasm, what it's meant to do. And a lot of people can fit that definition. And as it's made more and more accessible, more and more people are prone to become addicted to it.
0: It's yeah. normalized.
2: So yeah. talking about it, I think is important. And it's, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I'm a sex addict. I think that um, I, I've learned something about sex that the average person could know, could learn. You know, I look for a lot of love and a lot of sex. Some mm-hmm. people love less love and less sex. But I know the truth that sex without love is meaningless. It's soul crushing.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Yeah. Now, how old are your kids, Ellie? I
2: have a son who will be two in June. So he's a little, yeah, about a year and a half, 18 months, and a daughter, which is five months. There we go. Wow. Wow. Yeah, close in age.
0: As you look ahead, what do you think, uh, where is your energy best directed in creating a world that, in which your son and daughter uh, have the best chance of finding a healthy, Relationship and uh, enjoying a healthy experience of sex in their adulthood.
2: You know, it's it's a little bit of a loaded question because my first thought when I saw that TED talk go out there, yeah, was um, I only had a, my son at the time, and I was thinking, okay, this kid's going to be a teenager one day, yeah, and you know, the dad comes into the equation, and likely Google will be around when he's a teenager and someone types in my name and the first thing they find is a a Ted talk called escaping porn addiction and what that might be like for him. So, you know, I wonder if everything I'm doing is helping create that. I certainly hope it is, but what I think about most and my main, um, like the central theme of the work I've done on a personal level in the last number of years is to rid ourselves of shame and to create an environment where people can really speak openly about the experiences that they've had.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know that for me, just the meetings were an enormously effective shame reduction exercise. I don't know about you, but but the early meetings for me were extremely difficult. To, to say, my name's Nate and I'm a sex addict was almost impossible. Uh, I couldn't say it while meeting anybody's eyes in the room. I looked at the floor you know, when I finally could say it, I said, recovering sex addict, emphasis on recovering. <laughs> and uh, and my sole ambition was to set the land speed record for recovery and get out of those rooms. And- <laughs> there you right. go. Right? right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, gonna, quickly. Can yeah, you know, going to get the secret credits. information and leave. And now, um, you know, I find that those rooms are such a sanctuary. They've become very much a spiritual place for me. And I've learned so much and grown so much there. And I love being part of A a fellowship that is, you know, in which there is so much humility and empathy and (coughs) honesty—a stark contrast to a lot of, you know, the the rooms that I was in as a kid. Yeah, does that mirror your experience? What would you add to that?
2: I I found that too, but I also found a little bit of a double-edged sword. So where Uh I said, "Hey, these people are really understanding of me," and I heard people who had gone further than me, people who were older, people who had access to more. But I found understanding and. A reduction of shame at the same time I told myself that no one else would understand me ah. and I didn't want anyone to know that I was part of this group and I mm-hmm. kept this quiet from everybody yeah I've since I've since turned that corner and I think that sharing my story and sharing it with pride and I think our experiences are godly if nothing else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are certain experiences that happen to us and I can't really say I'm a spiritual person I believe in God or I believe the world if I I imagine that at eight years old, I went through sexual, I went through abuse and that part had nothing to do with God or that I relapsed a number of times and that part had nothing to do with God. What I like to say to myself is the past belongs entirely to God. And once it's there, it's his, right? We have no control over it. We have no power over it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's that place I can say, can I accept it fully? And the experiences that are rubbing up against me and giving me shame usually are telling me that I got to do something with this. Cause if I can get past that shame and I can talk about it comfortably and talk about the shame that was there. I know that I can touch many other people who are in the same process and hopefully create that because, you know, it's the things that cause us the most shame that make us the most human. It's where we're most similar. Mm.
1: Yeah. That's a beautiful way of putting it too, Ellie about making peace with the past um, with regard to your shame, because that seems to me that, that with the people I work with that shame drives uh, the bus and until we can and, and until we can really address shame, um, we are we are very much on an up and down um, cycle.
2: yeah, it's tied very closely to resentment, right if, if I'm carrying right. a resentment for the person who abused me or for business deals i did that went bad or for people who took advantage of me i have to be able to say about each one that that was that that was a godly experience and i embrace it fully as part of me and like i said where it's rubbing up against me yeah i got to talk about it
1: yeah i got
2: i don't yeah. say i got to talk about it where it's rubbing up against me it's an indication that i have to do something with it i don't talk yeah. about everything
1: but yeah Had you accomplished a certain amount of your success Ellie uh, before your recovery.
2: Financial success. Yeah. Um, Yeah, what brought me into meetings. I started my business at 19 and was fortunate enough to have relatively quick success. Mm-hmm. I, you know, by those standards, by 1920 year old standards, I like to joke that I had the best and the worst of addictions, work addiction and sex addiction. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm talking about the caste system. Uh, yeah. And uh, fortunately, you know, at the beginning of my career, what I touched, um, did, you know, d- did do well. And the, the presenting issue when I walked into a therapist at 23 years old was that I'm loaning money to people I don't want to loan money to, and I'm giving money to um, organizations and charities that I don't want to give money to. And that's what I walked in, in and I say, I think the word no. And I say the word yes, help me. Uh-huh. And then he asked me if I was sexually abused and that's, wow. kind of where journey happened. but I didn't, I didn't walk in saying, Hey, I'm sexually abused. I want to deal with it. Quite the yeah. contrary. My solution to everything was money. And then I found that, you know, I was making money with one hand and giving it away with another. And I said, if I can't plug this hole, the solution is going to, is not going to work. Yeah.
0: Wow. What an intuitive leap. So the analyst saw kind of a boundary issue and knew that there'd been a, and sensed that there had been a boundary violation, a deep boundary violation early and went to sex. That is, that's a, that's a damn good analyst. Somebody saw something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I drilled him on it. Um, I've come to learn his own story and he was sexually abused as well multiple times. So it could be that that was
0: uh, one
2: thing that he was picking up on. Yeah. But Um, I've, I drilled him on that question for the next two or three sessions with him is, is this a question he asks everyone or did he see something in me and therefore he was asking me? And there was a big difference between the two. If he was just going down a list, then I can continue to tell myself that the sex addiction didn't affect me that badly. Like I knew it affected me as a child, but okay, I'm okay now. I'm not getting abused. It's in the past. However, if what I was experiencing today he connected truly to abuse and he doesn't ask this question to everyone, right? That's something specific about me. Then I have no choice but to work through that. And after several sessions, he persuaded me that there was something unique to me and he was asking it because he saw a pattern in me and not a question he asks everyone. I said, I'm ready to work through the effects of the abuse. And that's when we started uh, working on it. He was also a a trauma therapist and he did a lot of EMDR. So that was the first a modality I used. Fantastic, wow.
0: fantastic. Have you have you used any other uh, modalities in dealing with trauma? Any neurofeedback or any of that kind of stuff?
2: i Haven't done neurofeedback. Uh, so a lot of the talking therapy. I've I've used um, some energy stuff, which are a little bit vague. I've even used acupuncture. I've used crystal healing, where people crush stones. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a little bit of plant medicine. So I've done different things to. Um, try to get there. I'm like, I kind of rule nothing out in my process and then I can never point back to exactly a lot of breath work. I had uh-huh. a breath work coach for two years and twice a week we met Yeah, to do breathing exercises and every day I had a routine for it and it helped a lot with anxiety and you know bring stuff up and resolve. So I'll look at anything to heal. I, mean, if yeah. I don't have to kill anybody. You know, Let's try it.
0: <laughs> well, you certainly do not strike me today as the uh, reserved, introverted, anxious person who you describe being uh, as a young man. It sounds to me that whatever you've been doing, whatever uh, whatever path brought you here has turned out to be a good path, and the work that you have done uh, has been good work. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like a
2: very different person than I was 10 years ago. And physically, yeah. it's, it's interesting. But when people see me physically, they and they've known me when I was a teenager, they often can't connected to. I think that there's been a significant change in me and it's something I'm proud of and something that I hope to hold as a you know, kind of a candle to others. It's possible. I was yeah. a very shy, reserved, anxious, uh, insecure, depressed. You know, so I people still deal just... with anxiety. Anxiety is still something that comes up, but mm-hmm. it's not like it was. I have tools now to deal with it. I can go to a meeting. I can call someone. I can meditate. I can breathe. I mean, there's just so many more things. I know that it's my body sending me a message versus A message to deal with something versus a message to run away. Like, hey, escape into porn, go to a strip club, call a prostitute. So I I relate to things differently, but certainly I think the power of healing is tremendous.
1: And people even just seeing you who haven't seen you in a while, you're saying even just by the way you carry yourself, present yourself, uh, shows a, a stark contrast to the shameful person that you seem to present prior to recovery?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't. Yes. So I'm not going that far. I'm saying that physically people don't always recognize me. So people who knew me as a teenager, I get it quite often. That's that's you. Wow, Mm -hmm. you look so different. So I'll hear that. But no, you know, listen, I was running a business when I walked into therapy. Uh Um, By the time I got into recovery, I had over 100 employees. I I wasn't um, I, I didn't come in on my hands and knees in tattered clothes. Yeah, there were aspects of me that still held it together. Um, At the same time, I had no ability to talk like this Um, Intense fear of public speaking. And I had a lot of shame around things. And most importantly, I had areas where I felt comfortable and areas where I felt phenomenally insecure. So you stick me in my office, you stick me in a business meeting and I felt like I belonged. Yeah. And you stick me at a social setting or a dinner table or Mm. a party or something else. And it's like, just dig a hole, Mm. please.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, Ellie, before we let you go, uh, what are some things you're involved in now? Um, pushing, uh, the message of recovery forward and, and sharing, uh, in, in ways that are, that are helpful to other people. Is there anything you've got going on that you're excited or want to talk about before we get away?
2: Yeah. A year ago, um, I started a business called uh, mic drop, which is somewhat of a storytelling Academy Uh and we help people tell their story. Oh, fantastic. On any subjects, on any subject under the sun. Just a couple of days ago, we had um, four or five people. It was up in New York, and I I didn't see the speeches yet, but it was four or five people from the transgender community share their stories. And the idea is not to share their story necessarily of their transformation or anything else that went around. They they could if they want to, but it's really, can we know the human behind that? Can we see the similarities between uh, between us and them? We had an event a couple of months ago people who either spend time in prison or had a family member spend time in prison. And it's just, you know, one of the the most amazing speech for me that night was an 18 year old girl who spoke about her mom going to prison for seven or eight years. She had just gotten out for killing a drunk driver for not killing a drunk driver, for killing someone as a drunk driver.
1: Yeah. Oh wow. And
2: there's almost no one you'd feel less compassion for, right? You killed someone as a drunk driver, Mm -hmm. right? You made a choice and you drove a car and you killed someone. And just hearing the story from the girl side, right, not that decision is necessarily different, it has nothing to do with that, suddenly we can see a little humanity in that story, and some lights can start breaking through and say, okay, we can't just treat people like monsters just because they did things we don't understand or don't agree with, because even if you could dehumanize them, which I'm not forever, even if you do want to dehumanize them, there are a lot of humans around them, which you can't dehumanize so quickly, and that affects too. So... Do what we have to do and we can still have boundaries, but the underlying compassionate connection that we feel as one humanity, I think is important. I think stories help us do that. And that's why we
0: created this company. Wow. I'm very passionate about it. That's Mike exciting. Drop. Yeah. So how would, how would our listeners uh, find Mic Drop?
2: Two ways. Um, on YouTube, uh, If someone types in Mic Drop. So if they type in Mic Drop in my name, mm-hmm. they can see our, our channel. Okay. And we have a lot of speeches up there. Different people okay. gave talks, every subject under the sun, a lot on addiction. And then our website is MikeDrop. one.
1: And, and you started that M-I-C, M-I-C? Mike Great. Drop. Yeah,
0: just for the none. Yeah. Uh, well, working... I know what I'm going to be doing. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. My uh, Yeah, my YouTube menu suddenly got got uh, set.
2: Yeah, you can check it out. There are, there are some cool, uh, cool talks there. One other thing is have you seen um, just being in the recovery community and sex addiction, porn addiction that Lamar Odom, the former NBA player and ex-wife, ex-husband of, um, Khloe Kardashian. Have you seen that he's been speaking out about porn addiction?
1: I have yes. not.
0: Oh, yeah, you, no. you've caught it, David. I haven't seen uh-huh. it. Yeah. So that's,
2: that's a direct result of our work together. So Lamar is a mic drop client and we've been working with him tomorrow, uh, Saturday night. So today's Thursday when we're recording this Saturday night, will be, um, he'll be sharing his story. Um, the, mo- the mother of his children will be sharing her story as well, and as part of the process of preparing for a speech, he recognized that um, he was using porn in exactly the way you say yeah And right? saying okay at least I'm not in the brothels anymore at least i'm not taking those risks because that's right. why he ended up in a coma in 2015. Mm-hmm. and through our conversations together, he realized that porn is just another drug for yeah him and yeah he's got to yeah. stay away from it yeah he he's got a massive voice, he spoke about it, and i'm his platform is, is huge. And a lot yeah. of people heard about, um, heard about porn addiction and Kanye West recently spoke about out about porn addiction.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. I'm not
2: so sure it's a complete coincidence. Kanye, who's a ex brother-in-law of Lamar that
0: he didn't yeah. see what
2: he was doing and maybe jumped on the bad wagon. Maybe yes, maybe no, who cares? But the world yeah. is ready to hear about this conversation. It's kicking the ass of many people. It's not the people who can't get women. These are people who get more women than anyone else. And there's still, escaping to pornography pornography is a drug and uh, talking about it can help a lot of people so i'm excited to be a
0: part of that as well wow that's fantastic fantastic well ellie thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us and with our listeners thank you for that inspiring story (laughs) of your own sobriety uh your journey in recovery it's a good thing isn't it absolutely i love i love recovery i'm a huge fan Okay,
2: (laughs) I'm a happy happy (laughs) customer. All right, well, good luck with your podcast, guys.
0: Thank you. I hope it touches many hearts. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you for the work you're doing. Stay with us, listeners. We'll be back in a minute here on the Positive Sobriety Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the positive sobriety podcast and Nate what a great conversation again yeah. um, with our guest uh, Ellie was uh, a guy that I, I hope that people are are hearing him in a way that really says it doesn't matter how successful you are or you aren't it doesn't matter uh what your background is um that that Shame will kill you. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, and that there is hope beyond that. And when you, uh, what, what was it that he, the, there was a piece of it that I wanted to really remember, putting the past uh, in God's hands, yeah, essentially. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Letting yeah. God take care
0: of the... the and when he said that of, he's, you know, proud to be a sex addict, I, you know what, I don't think I've ever put that, I mean, I feel I'm, I've lost my shame of sex addiction. Yeah. I talk about it freely.
1: I don't get... think
0: I'd ever gone so far as to say I'm proud of it. Yeah. But, man, that's, that's a bridge beyond, and I think it's a healthy place to be. Yeah. Uh, I love that he is encouraging the conversation, and and now it looks like he's instrumental in helping some other people with a larger platform than his. Yeah. Who have been awakened to the problem and have confront, confronted the issue themselves and find some healing to actually say so. This is a huge benefit to the world that we love right and
1: another person who's found the power of story yeah uh in recovery you know with his mic drop um affiliations and association that is uh that sounds like a fun and exciting and healing uh experience to be a part of
0: you know that really is true uh we identify we are all story driven yeah uh all of us are running an internal narrative all yeah, the time, anyway. Look at the narrative, which which is which may very well be flawed. But mm-hmm. until we hear, until uh, we have a chance to articulate, to say it out loud for people to probe and ask and mm-hmm. question, mm-hmm. Uh, we can continue to to imagine that we're in a story that we're not in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, Or we can imagine that the story we're in is entirely unique and that nobody else uh, has seen the same dilemmas endured Mm -hmm. the same crises, failed in the ways we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's easy to get hopeless when we think that our our story is unique. So to hear somebody else. And here's what I also love. He's using that mic drop thing to uh, encourage empathy.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the difference between trauma and or not one one way we would distinguish it is having an empathetic witness i say it all the time but um you know creating those empathetic witnesses for our pain and our stories are awesome vehicles to to find people who can come around us and say me too
0: yeah yeah so well uh it's uh, been another enjoyable conversation david it has Uh, we'd love to hear from you listeners uh, we enjoy uh, peeking into the mailbag every day and see who's written to us we, we do and we do respond you can reach us at the at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com
1: and we've got um, some some great guests coming up
0: uh, you've got us booked through January I think yeah I,
1: mid-january yeah. so far so uh, barring anybody you know falling off the radar but uh,
0: I got some more guests on my list here too but I'm thinking I might have to start another podcast if I'm, <laughs> no, where we'll, are we going to put them all
1: we will need them trust me <laughs> we, we need to plug holes but you know it's it's really interesting because uh, I'll, I'll say this and we can wrap up but um, I am learning the power of asking mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways yeah. but particularly uh, people who are rather established in certain areas and fields and yeah. I think oh, that's a pretty well known person they may not Want to do this? They may not know who know who we are. They may not, yeah. uh, you know, we, our our audience may not be uh, the audience uh, that they uh, feel like you know is mm-hmm. their audience. And um, man, I'm getting nothing but yeses. I I send people these you know crazy out in the middle of nowhere places and they've written some great book or they have some great uh, practice somewhere that yeah. uh they're doing great work and uh and they're going oh i'd love to do it when when do i uh, you know when do i get on oh well, that's fantastic <laughs> so it's been a lot of fun yeah
0: all right well uh time has flown time i guess for us to wrap until next week i'm nate i'm david we are your pals on the positive sobriety podcast the Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rick Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford.